Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and I have a guest with me today, Joan Sotkin. Joan, did I pronounce your last name correctly? Yes. Great. Well, welcome to the show. My pleasure to be here. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you. Let me give our listeners a brief background on you and then have you add to it. Uh, Joan, uh, for over 25 years, has helped entrepreneurs and practitioners use their inner resources along with practical techniques to experience freedom from the struggle struggles personally, professionally, and financially. Uh, thousands of her clients have benefited from her groundbreaking book, Build Your Money Muscles, Nine Simple Exercises for Improving Your Relationship with Money, and her ongoing support programs. I've had a chance to download and read the book. It's a great book, and we'll touch on that throughout the interview today. Uh, Joan is a holistic prosperity and mindset mentor and a dynamic, inspiring speaker who brings a depth of knowledge plus a huge dose of empathy and compassion to her work. She is the expert when it comes to understanding how emotions learned in early childhood can affect a person's earning capacity as an adult. And Joan lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So once again, Joan, welcome to the show. Please give us a bit more about yourself and what you're up to these days. All right. Well, I've been around a long time. <laughs> and I've been, I've been doing business online for 21 years. And in the 1980s, mid-1980s, I had a big business. I had a crystal business that I started from nothing. I borrowed $1,200. And within, within four years, I was bringing in, in today's money, $50,000 a month, and which was great, except I had no idea how to handle that much money. And I wound up going bankrupt. So that set the stage for the work I do now, which is really helping people understand that paying attention to their money is one of the most important things they can do. And not just keeping track of uh, the income and expenses, but learning how to manage cash flow. A lot of people, when you say manage cash flow, they just kind of zone out. Oh, I don't want to do that. And the other part of it is I really believe that you have to get in touch with what goes on inside of you, your thoughts, beliefs, emotions, uh, because the, those are the things that inform your decisions, and it's your decisions that affect your outcomes in business and uh, in life, and certainly your financial outcomes. And I, I, the thing that got me going a long time ago in the 1970s, life was not making much sense to me. Uh, and in those days, there was no internet, there were no coaches, and I had taught first grade for a year and then used to have nightmares that I had to do that again. And it became very clear that I, you know, that I was supposed to have my own business. And, uh, but life made no sense to me. I was taught that I had to get married and have kids. That's what they taught people in my era. And so I gave everything I owned away and went on this journey that lasted quite a few years and, and learning to listen to my inner direction. 
And these days, that's a whole lot easier because the energy of the planet has changed and consciousness is expanding. So I think it's really important to get in touch with that inner direction as you're learning business and financial skills. So back when you were in school, you went to school and, and you thought you'd be a school teacher? That was the... No, 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 no. My father said I had a... a I, I was an English major, qualified to do nothing. And my father said, you have to get your teaching degree because wow. so, you, so you have something to fall back on. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're going to get divorced, so you better have something to fall back <laughs> on. And, and fortunately, New Jersey at the time were very short on teachers. So they had this summer course for people who didn't get a degree in education. And, and they put me in this first grade class, which wasn't the brightest thing. Here I am, you know, 20 some odd years old, taking care of I never had my own kids and taking care of 40 kids who turned out to be pretty bratty. <laughs> so <laughs> that was not my idea of a good time. So it obviously it hit you at that point. This is not for me, but did you know at that point that becoming a business owner was for you or is that instead where you went on this journey to figure out what was it that you were looking for? Well, actually, after I stopped teaching, someone came to our house. I was married at the time. And someone came to our house to sell me a set of great books of the Western world. And I wound up do, selling great books of the Western world door to door, <laughs> door to door, cold canvassing, and wound up as a district manager teaching people how to sell door to door. And so that's when I learned how to sell, which I didn't realize was you know, the greatest skill I could have had. What what did you learn? What do you think were some of the key one or two things about selling that you learned doing that? Not to not to put myself below anybody. I remember I was ha- I was being trained to sell to business and professionals in their office during the day, and was in Washington D.C. at the time, and was selling to uh, priests and ambassadors and business people. And during my training, I was having trouble closing the sale. And my uh, trainer said to me, just remember, they all put their pants legs on one, at a, one leg at a time, and they sit when they boop. <laughs> <You know>? so, <laughs> and so I just learned to see everybody as an equal. Interesting. So then from there, you go where in your, in your life and in your career? Oh, Hard to remember. It was so long ago. <laughs> We're talking about the 1960s and 70s. And oh, uh, and uh, then by now I'm in the second marriage, and uh, he was the executive producer of Eyewitness News, so I was very into broadcasting. Got a job with the Joey Bishop Show, which was a late night talk show, and I was booking guests and writing show notes. Wow. <laughs> Which I'm still doing, yeah. <laughs> still writing show notes. And along the way, I've done radio, and I, I, I'm a talker. I love to stand in front of people and talk. And so at one point, we actually, I had been doing with this doctor who actually saved my life because I was really sick for a long time. We actually rented the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium and put on a show called New Age Medicine, and, and I hired a PR person, and I went on, on uh, television shows. As a matter of fact, I just recently uploaded something to 
YouTube, where I was, it was right before I moved to Santa Fe. And so I was on the internet for about six months and I wrote this little booklet called Internet 123 to teach people about the internet. This was 1996. And these two people interviewed me about the internet and email and they didn't have a clue as to what it was. And it's pretty funny. And I, and I, had, I found the videotape and just had it uh, digitized and put it up on YouTube. That's fantastic. <laughs> so at some point in that journey, you come across this crystals business, or is that much later on? Tell us about that a little bit more. Well, I had given everything I owned away, and I was meditating a lot. And one day, I heard in my head, go buy a pound of crystal of tumbled stones. And I had no idea what that meant. But my mother had been buying these these mineral specimens and putting little animals, pewter animals on them and giving them to people. So I knew there was a lapidary store. So I went to the lapidary store. I said, I need a pound of tumbled stones. He said, what size? My hand popped up and I said, that size, it was about an inch round. And once I got the stones in meditation, I would get instructions for putting them on my altar and using them for healing. And I started doing all this healing work. As a matter of fact, I kept a day-at-a-glance diary during this time because I knew I was in the middle of an interesting story, and I just finished the book. And within, you know, I'm going to have it actually out there very shortly where I tell this whole story because that simple pound of, of stones turned into this very large business where I had, I was mailing out 50,000 catalogs at a time, and I had a, a line of stones called Jones Stones that were in 600 stores. And, you know, I just took it one day at a time. I had no business experience and just kind of followed my instinct. So I had never heard this term lapidary, so I just looked it up. But tell us what a lapidary is. A lapidary store is a, a, a store that sells minerals and stones. And lapidary business is people who grindstones and make them into uh, cabochons, which are those rounded stones they put in jewelry, that sort of thing. Thanks. So you had success with this business. Then as you had shared, you went bankrupt and you mentioned and alluded to cash flow being perhaps some of the key reasons why. Is that Was that the primary reason why you think the business failed? That was the reason that the that the money part failed at the same time that this was going on and I had all this money coming in my father died and I already knew there was a connection between emotions and business but I until you experience these things it doesn't doesn't make sense and so the two things together just were you know just didn't work and you know when my father died it takes a while to get over that like years and so it's easier to express grief through the loss of a business than the loss of a parent if there were issues between the parent and the child. Right. So we'll, we'll come back to in a moment the, the emotional aspect. Yeah, yeah. But the, the, the bankruptcy of it as well. So when we're talking about cash flow, yours was a business where I suspecting you had to buy inventory, you had to spend money before you made it. Is that, was that part of the challenge with managing the cash? Oh, I've, absolutely. I have $5,000 in the bank account and think I had $5,000. Mm-hmm. And so I'd buy more crystals. Yeah. <laughs> I had wonderful crystals. 
And every I was the only game in town. So everybody came to me with their gorgeous crystals. And I was a compulsive spender to begin with. So, you know, it was not a good combination. And so when did you finally realize, I've, I've got to shut this down? I have no money. Well, I went to the bank. And I said, I've reached my level of incompetence. I actually <laughs> said that to them. I said, I don't know what I'm doing. So they, they just wanted to lend me more money. And I said, that's not the answer. So I found someone. I don't, I don't remember how I found him. And he sat there at my computer's head, these little Macintosh computers. And he sat there and plunked away. And his conclusion was I needed to borrow more money from family and friends. I said, that's not, that's not, my, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm in debt now. And I, I don't want to get any deeper in debt. And what also happened at the same time, I had been the only game in town, literally, uh, on a national level. And suddenly, everybody and his brother was selling crystals. And so I didn't also didn't know how to uh, change what I was doing with the competition that was there. So I just said, you know, that's not my answer. And I brought in someone who was supposed to help me figure it out, and I just couldn't get the help I needed. So I just knew it was time to close it. So what were the emotions surrounding that after you had to close it? Well, remember my father had died. So I was sitting in this pool of loss. You know, so uh, you know, know, when a parent dies, there's no way to prepare for that. There's just no way to prepare for the empty space that comes as a result of that. There's like this empty energy place. And that was true from the business, which I really loved. And what I did was I still had to create some income. So I had a couple of thousand names on my list that were buyers, that were previous buyers. And so I still made a couple of catalogs and sent them out. And that kept me going for a while. And then the next thing was I, I wrote a book. I moved to Orange County. I had been in, in, in Los Angeles County. Moved to Orange County and put together a business called Build Your Business. Wrote a couple of books um, that I self-published. I mean, I was looking for my place. And then once again, in 1996, I, I came to Santa Fe with $200 and whatever fit in my car. And that's around the time Prosperity Place comes to be, is that right? Yeah, it started out as a site called Resources for Living, but it turned out I was stepping on someone's trademark. So I, after I came to Santa Fe, I was in the hospital for a month having my stomach fixed, which had been a problem for 20 years. And um, I, I knew I had this book called Prosperity is an Inside Job. So I knew, I said to myself, well, what do people need? or want. They want more money, better sex, and better gas mileage. And I decided that the money part was the good one for me. And so I found the domain Prosperity Place. And and that was in early 1997. And I've had it since then. Amazing. Have you kept a screenshot of what your website looked like back then? Well, I, I can find it on um, the Wayback Machine. Right, right. And I, and I have looked at that to see some of the things I was doing, and it's there. Mm, it's amazing. I built this my first site myself, and I built all of them myself until I got up the database. And 
it was pretty amazing because I'm an English major qualified to do nothing about the decade. <laughs> and so I remember the first time I built a site, I, had, I couldn't figure out tables. It was like, what are they? And so I would find sites that were using tables and I would copy their source code mm -hmm. and then fill in my data. That's right. <laughs> so, that's, the way, that's the way we all hack at HTML yeah. initially. Right. So, so what what is Prosperity Place or what was it back then? And, and tell us. It still is. It yeah. still is helping people live happier, healthier, more prosperous lives. I'm a holistic person. So I don't think you can be prosperous if you're sick. I don't think you could be prosperous if your emotions are all screwed up. It's, you know, happy, healthy, prosperous all go together. And if you don't straighten out your physical health, your mental health, I mean, your business is an extension of you. And so if you're sick, your business is going to be sick. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, so let's dive into the emotional component of this. And as you say, money is such an emotional experience for most people. Uh, why is this and how do we begin to understand and overcome those limiting beliefs that a lot of us have? Okay, well, I don't look at the belief. I mean, in my book, I look at thoughts, beliefs, and emotions. But uh, I really believe that anything about you is a habit. And you know, said, what are you doing now? I'm really into brain science now because that's what runs the show. So everything about you is, is a habit. Your thoughts, your beliefs, your emotions are all habits. So in order to change your life outcomes, which means changing how you make your decisions, means changing your habits. So it used to be people thought, oh, this emotion is blocking me and I have to really pay attention to all the childhood stuff. And, and it's good to recognize that. And when there's any kind of abuse or neglect or alcoholism or anything like that, you develop these emotional habits early in your life. Well, in order to change that, you have to change your habits. So if you understand brain science, which is about changing the neural pathways in your brain, then instead of saying there's something wrong with me and I have to fix my emotions, you just have to recognize your habits and, and learn to replace them with something more functional. And that's the simple explanation of what has to be done. It's not easy because any kind of change like that is threatening and you're brain gets confused between the new neural pathways and the old, no, old neural pathways, and you get this in-between place, which feels very uh, disorienting, and that's what I call the moving stupids. And most people can recognize that when they move from one house to another, and they really want to be in the new house, but they get really stupid. Mm -hmm. They bump into walls, they can't find anything, they lose their wallet, they lose their keys. That's the moving stupids, and it's that, that space in between when you're between the new neural pathways and the old neural pathways. And once you understand this from the scientific point of view, if you're willing to understand science, then it's a much easier journey. Great input. It's, it's also when you get to that new space, sometimes you don't sleep well, you don't sleep as well, everything feels uncomfortable. That's part of right. the transition. So if, I, if I'm following you correctly, what you're saying in part, and I, I think 
it makes sense to me is that those emotions, whether because something that happened to us or we experienced in childhood, might be the reason why we developed habits, but it's the habits that we need to look at changing or, or eliminating, mm. right? Right, because the situation, this is this, yeah, this is thing you gotta grok. The situation doesn't cause the emotions, the emotions cause the situation. Mm -hmm. In other words, you have far more control over what's going on in your life than you realize. Life does not happen to you, it happens through you. Two people can have the same experience and they're gonna have an entirely different set of emotions, aren't they? Some people love change, some people can't stand it. Change is gonna happen whether you like it or not. And, and some people are just better at adapting to change. And it's those emotions that get in the way, it's, Really, your amygdala, anytime you try to change something, it's your amygdala that's saying, danger, danger. And some people just say, well, forget it. And they do it anyhow, where other people get lost in the fear. And it's if you have shame, for example, left over from childhood, and so you know we live in a shame-based culture because of our, of our religions and the way we're brought up and the, the whole experience of childhood and if you look at your bank account and feel ashamed of your balance oh i should be earning more than this and people my age should be earning more and if you feel shame that has nothing to do with the money that's shame that you brought with you and you're using the money as a way of experiencing the emotions makes sense. And so along those lines in the book, you talk about the identity factor. I want yes. To read this quote and then discuss this. You say, the identity factor is a mechanism that kicks in anytime you try to make significant changes in your life because these changes are often a threat to your identity. It is also a threat to your position in your peer group and your position in your family of origin. So those around you will try to keep you where you've been. Um, I've always experienced that, especially as we're moving into becoming a business owner, for example, which is such a difficult and challenging leap for a lot of folks who are listening, that often our peers who are not business owners themselves, they don't want us to succeed, not in a malicious way, not even possibly in a conscious way, but it helps validate for them why they don't take that that move or make that move or take that chance. Do you understand what I'm saying? And oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And also, if you are part of a, a group, a tribe, everybody has their position in the tribe. So there's the person who earns the most and the person who earns the least. And there's the dominant alpha male. <laughs> you know, everybody's got their position. As you start changing your position in that peer group, they have to make adjustments. You signed up for change, but they didn't. And they're going to do what they have to do to keep the structure what it was. Mm -hmm. and, and that's how your changing affects them. But the identity change factor really affects you. Because, for example, let's say you've always earned $50,000 a year or $60,000, whatever the number is. Soon as you start earning more, it doesn't feel like you and you're in that moving stupid space. And so subconsciously 
you make it go away. I've heard dozens and dozens and dozens of stories of people say, my income goes up and down. I finally am earning more and then it's gone. And that's because earning that much was uncomfortable. When I was earning all that money, boy, I was high all the time. It was fabulous. But it felt not like me because I was the poor one in the family. So you're saying we sabotage that then subconsciously to... I'm so glad you asked. I don't use the word self-sabotage. I use the word self-protection. You're protecting your identity and your position in the peer group and family of origin. Okay, that makes sense. All right, I want to jump to another topic you cover in the book, which is that of setting attainable goals. But we've all talked about that a million times. You can read a million books and other articles about this. We've been taught about it throughout our lives, but you take a different approach on it and you say that you emphasize the importance of understanding your personal values and how that relates to setting attainable goals. Can you speak to that? Right, and I've added a piece since I wrote the book, which which is setting feeling goals. People, they want to make more money because they think the money's going to fix everything and they're going to feel fabulous when, they're, when they've got more money. But when you suddenly are making a lot more money, there's stuff that comes up that you never expected because particularly if you never learned how to manage money. So I think you have to say, well, what matters to me? And if all that matters is money in, in, in your goals, then you're never going to be satisfied because money can't satisfy you internally. Most people want uh, inner peace. They want uh, family love. They want, and what we all need, what we all need at the core is to feel connected. And when you understand that that's really what you need, when people want more money, what they really want is more people. Because money doesn't fly in the window. It's attached to people. So if you find yourself saying, oh, if only I had more money, what you're really saying is if I only had more people. And you're probably feeling alone, which is one of the main feelings that people act out through money. Very interesting. So then how do you tie that then? You're saying that that then drives setting attainable goals. How do you make that connection there? Okay, so... If we're we're looking at attainable goals in a number of ways, if you're looking at it financially, let's say you're making $50,000 now, and I'll say to you, well, how much do you want to earn? And you say to me $2 million. That's not an attainable goal because you have no idea how to be a person who's earning $2 million. So if you're at $50,000, say, okay, I'm going to try to earn uh, another $5,000 a year. Of course, you're going to say, well, I can't wait for that. You know, I'm in more of a hurry than that. And that's your problem. You're too much of a hurry. So you set a goal. I'm making um, uh, $6,000 a month now. I want to make $6,600 a month. Well, that's attainable. And when you get to that goal, then you set the next level. When you say, I want to earn $2 million, what you're saying is, I, I can't, I have no idea how to do that. And I'm just going to, I'm going to do what I have to to stay where I am. Yeah. And that's why often, if not always, those types of goals, you end up failing and then you feel worse mm-hmm. about it. And then, you know, right. which means, which means you have a need to feel bad about yourself. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so important 
to, to find out what's going on inside. And that's why I think it's so necessary to meditate in the morning. I can't believe how many people are meditating now. I think it's so fabulous that, I mean, I just got a client who's in his late 20s and, and he does everything right. He exercises, he meditates. He, he, I mean, it's amazing how much people know now. And the, the answers are all there. Everybody just wants a pill, you know? <laughs> give me the pill that'll give me the willingness and the ambition and everything I need to make this happen. And the problem is there's so much you have to do that if you take it one little step at a time, you're going to get to your goal and you have to not be in a hurry. Humans are in, in a hurry. And that's what's causing all the stress that everybody's experience, experiencing. And it's the stress that keeps you from really reaching your goals. Great insight. So in the book, you also talk about this concept of the cycle of change. Can you introduce that? But we're talking about creating new habits. I mean, you have to see where you are and and make the change, and eventually it becomes a part of you, and you've made the change. Mm -hmm. Okay. So one of the things you talk about, which I wanted to specifically speak to, because I think it's such a challenge for the folks that I work with, the clients that I speak to, and I present to groups of people that are looking to start their own business, and that's this issue of this debt that they've accumulated. So I know you chat about that and you work with clients on that. So just speak to me about that. What are, what are some steps that a person should take if they want to let go of those fears and feelings of shame that are associated with debt? And how should they start addressing that? Well, let's talk about why people debt. Now, I know a lot of people have debt from, uh, from college. That's a big one now. But... When I when I was a debtor, I was a compulsive debtor. It was, you know, I would I was just in trouble financially all the time. And I realized that when you debt, it's really a sign of aloneness. If I owe you money, you're not going to forget about me. And I just want people to help to realize that there's a reason why they created the debt. Even they said, well, it was a student loan. No, on some level, you needed that. I mean, once you understand that whatever is in your life is what you need to get where you're going, it's hard to understand sometimes, but I, I have found it to be true. And it, it's like with, with debt, the, if you can get to the point where you're not ashamed of your debt, where it, if you feel burdened, what are the feelings you have around the debt? You have shame. If you feel trapped, you feel burdened. And again, those are habits that started early in childhood. And you, you have to recognize the feeling habit because if you have a need to feel trapped because that's part of your identity, then you're going to keep doing things to feel trapped. You'll, you'll get out of debt and then you'll get back. I have so many people get out of debt, they get back in debt. And, and they come to me because they just don't want to do that once, one more time. Okay, Joan. So what you're saying is by, by identifying what's at the, what was the root cause of it, what were the emotions or reasons that you got there, if you don't uncover that and address that, then you're just going to repeat the cycle. Is that what Absolutely. Saying? Beautifully said. You're really getting it. <laughs> you know, I want to congratulate you. I'm really getting it. Because think of it. You're two years old. 
You've got controlling parents and and they're they're abusive in some way, you're gonna feel trapped. You're gonna be angry, you're gonna have shame, and there's those feelings are so much a part of you that you don't even recognize what they are. One of the big feelings that comes out of all this is the feeling of longing. If you're longing, longing for more money, oh if only I had more money, then longing is one of your habits. And that's one that starts really, really early. So you have to understand the emotions that are affecting your subconscious, which affects what you keep creating. Mm -hmm. And you would replace or have replaced longing with what? Feeling touched. The thing we long for the most is to feel loved and touched. So let me tell you what I did in the really recent times is I came from a touch-deprived background. When I was six months old, my father said uh, she drooled on me and I never touched her again. He thought that was funny. And um, so I was really touch-deprived. So I realized that I was still longing for more money, you know, no matter how much I was bringing in. And so I said, well, where's this longing come from? Is it really that I'm not getting touched? So I looked at my life and I said, I've got 10,000 people on my mailing list. I'm making plenty of money. How do, how do adults touch each other? They touch each other by listening to each other, by smiling, by, by handing each other money. That's a kind of touch. So I said to myself, Am I really not touched or am I just not feeling touched? So I'd get into bed at night and think of everything that happened during the day and realize how many times I was being touched in these subtle ways. And I taught myself to feel touched. And it was amazing how my business changed in a rather short period of time. Very interesting. So I, one of the things I like about the book is the way you've structured it, where you have uh, certainly uh, in the second section of actions and exercises. So it's very actionable. You actually, you know, f encourage you to take some action. So I love that the way that's structured. And so that led me to this question as I was preparing for this interview. And what would you consider the bottom line actions a person needs to take to build a strong foundation for their business, even if it's just one or two of those? So somebody who's looking to start a business, what are some of those actions that you think they need to take to build the right foundation? Internally, love yourself. Externally, connect. Those two things are really at the core of comfortable earning. You know, people think who people who earn a lot of money are happy. <laughs> Not true. They keep, why does someone need $5 billion? It's because they're still in a longing place. They're still touch deprived. So when you can feel loved, accepted, acknowledged, and appreciated, which starts from within yourself, you're going to get paid. And when you connect to other people, that's, satisfying this core need that we all have. And I'm not just saying going to a networking event and getting everybody's business card, but learning how to have uh, really authentic connections 
to people. I, I belong to the spiritual group that I've been part of for 25 years, and for 20 years rather, and um, it's a leaderless group, and it's run by this council of anybody who volunteers to be on council. And we had a meeting the other day, and, and we were looking at, we were talking about what we appreciate about being part of this group. And it's this sense of really belonging, that every Sunday we know we can go to this place where people know us and accept us for who we are and will listen to us. And, and to me, that's at the core of my life now, even though it has nothing to do with business, even though I built their website and you know I, I take care of the business part of the, the organization, it's, it's this feeling of belonging that really matters. Very interesting. And as they were saying that, I'm trying to think about it as I would apply it to a, a small business owner and the position I've been. And I think that, that the first point internally loving yourself, one of the ways I think I would apply that is as you're building your business, to acknowledge that you've do, you're doing you're doing something great and you've done something great you've challenged yourself the market may or may not buy what it is that you're selling but that doesn't take away from the fact that you've built something that represents you right and then on externally connecting i can see where also as a business owner we we get so bogged down and stressed about hoping that this new business that we've launched will succeed. But there's opportunities to connect even with our employees, our partners, our staff, and making those really honest connections. Would you agree with that kind of way to look at it? Yes, and your connections outside of your business are usually the ones with whom you can discuss what's going on. You need, you know, this is why I think coaches are so important, because it becomes someone you can be honest about where you are. That you can say, well, this doesn't feel right to me. And you want to be able to develop emotional intelligence. That's becoming so important now. Corporations are teaching people about emotional intelligence. It, there's so much more to who we are than just our business. I don't think we come to this planet to get rich. I think we're supposed to have certain learning things that we do, and it's about being human. And, and making money is not what being human is about. And so if you're willing to get to know yourself, you know, the ancients, I don't remember which one of the ancient philosophers said, uh, know yourself and forget all trivial things. And, and that's true. And knowing yourself means being willing to be uh, in your emotions, to recognize your thoughts, and when you hear yourself telling you what you should do and you ought to and, and all that negative self-talk, that's a waste of time. And to be able to say, well, I don't, I, I'm not going to talk that way anymore. And to, my favorite saying, which is in the book, is Joni's a good girl and can have whatever she wants. So anytime I would hear myself criticizing myself, I would say Joni's a good girl and can have whatever she wants. Now, I, I just don't have negative self-talk anymore. It's an amazing space to live in where everything is fine. That's wonderful. <laughs> so, Joan, we've touched on quite a few of them, but if you had to summarize again one or two things that have been the keys to your business success, what would they be? It would be, first of all, learning how to manage money. That's 
absolutely essential. Uh, Marcus Lemonis, the guy who's got that show on CNBC called The Profit, says over and over again, if you don't know your business, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. If you're in business, it's to make money, so you better learn how to handle money. That is absolutely essential. The other thing is to take care of yourself because you are the core of your business. So take care of what you're eating, how you're exercising, are you meditating, are you getting enough sleep? Working you know, 18 hours might get you a medal in some, some arenas, but it's not helping you. You are the most important part of your business. Take care of yourself and take care of your money. Beautifully said. Um, so tell us a little bit more about Prosperity Place, what you do today, the services you offer your clients. Okay, so now I'm really getting into online courses. And um, at prosperityplace.com slash programs are the two I have done so far, which are uh, Financial Freedom Formula, a Holistic Blueprint for Success, and um, a Simple Meditation for Busy Entrepreneurs. So those are my favorite things. Now I'm working on a big one that explains all the stuff we've been talking about and puts it in terms of brain science. But if you go to Prosperity Place now, you can uh, find you know stuff I've done in the past and my podcast, and that's kind of my central place. And the coaching, the work I do with my clients is helping them get to these inner things and make sure they're taking care of the outer. And so we'll have links to that in our show notes page at thehowofbusiness.com. And so a book recommendation that you might have besides your book, which we'll also have a link to on the show notes page, is there a book you've read recently or in the past that you would recommend to our listeners? Well, the one I'm recommending a lot now is called Childhood Disrupted, How Your Biography Affects Your Biology. But she really gets into the whole thing about adverse childhood experiences and how they affect your life outcomes. Uh, that's by Donna Jackson Nakazawa. Wonderful. Thanks for that recommendation. We'll have a link to that as well on the show notes page of the How of Business. All right, we'll start to wrap it up. Joan, last uh, parting piece of advice you'd have for our audience as they think about either starting their journey to become their own boss or as they're looking to grow their small business. Listen to your inner voice and trust it. Simply put, and very <laughs> insightful. All now, right. How, how, but how do you get to a point, though, where you trust that inner voice? It's trial and error. I mean, it's really hard. Uh, I was talking to some, one of my clients today who's been on the spiritual path forever, and, and she's really conflicted about which direction to go in because it means giving up something she's done for a long time and going in a new direction. It's something... It, it's it's overriding the messages from your amygdala and trying things. You have to say, what do you have to lose? And at one point, she said everything. And I said, well, what do you have to lose that can't be replaced? Because everything can be replaced. That's one of the things when I was giving my, my stuff away, the, the voice I kept hearing was get rid of everything that can be replaced. And I wound up giving away everything. Interesting. <laughs> very good. Thanks. Very insightful. So where can our listeners go to find out more about you and your business? Prosperityplace.com. 
prosperityplace.com. We'll have a link to that in the show notes page as well. Uh, Joan, thanks for spending this time with us and for sharing all this great insight and knowledge. All right. It was a pleasure being here. I love to do this, and I think your questions were fabulous. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Joan. So, folks, thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.